This is season six of the Team Roping Journals podcast, The Score. With over two million downloads, this is where Team Ropers talk. Today's episode of The Score is brought to you by Cactus Ropes. You can shop Cactus Ropes at www.cactusropes.com. And I'm going to tell you more about their winning line of ropes at the commercial break. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Score. We have been coming at you quite a bit lately and we are in the middle of our horse market series. Now this is a multi-month series that we are doing that's taking a good hard look at the team roping industry from an equine perspective. Uh, Of course we're covering the breeding market, the buying and selling, all the things because holy geez, the horse market is insane. The last time we did this was in 2021 and we were just kind of theorizing about where things were going to be going. But now in 2023, we have a pretty good glimpse into what's happening with the Riata Buckle, with the Royal Crown, with the American Rope Horse Futurity Association, and how that is translating into the pro rodeo ranks, as well as into the World Series of Team Rope and the USTRC, the NTR, the NTRL. Basically, your everyday team roper is getting hooked on the horse market side of things. So We decided this week to talk to Billy Myers. And when I say we, I guess I mean me. Billy Myers, his dad, Bill, was on the cover of our 228-page 2023 Breeders Guide on their said Mr. Sassy Frenchman, who Billy actually showed that horse at the Royal Crown. It was a lot of fun to watch. And we recorded this the day before Billy made the short round, made the top 15 on that stud. So that was cool because he's a big sucker. He's about uh, 15-2, 15-3, and Billy was healing on him. So I was impressed with my friend. Um, so right before we had this conversation, I had watched him practice and on Mr. Sassy Frenchman at their place in Arizona. And we had a great time just kind of hanging out, taking pictures, doing videos uh, for that stud. And then we sat down in their barn and we just kind of chit-chatted. So you'll hear lots of horse noises in the background of this episode, but I hope you appreciate it because that's what it's like when you're sitting in the Myers barn and the beautiful middle of beautiful Whitman, Arizona. Uh, For a little bit more background, Billy's been a friend of mine for over a decade. uh, And we started talking about this horse market thing and what the heck we were going to do about it um, about a decade ago. It's kind of how we became friends and how we bonded. It's our most common conversation. And we wanted to kind of put one of our day-to-day convos on on this podcast so you could hear it and hear how you know one of the most iconic families in the breeding industry is thinking about where the rope horse industry is going um billy is also the uh one of the founding partners of the platinum metal futurity and we will be streaming that futurity on roping.com i'm really excited for you all to see it it's a new new format of futurity that's going to have three different levels of short rounds it's going to let the recreational ropers rope with the pros and it's open to all kinds of horses. They also have the the metal program, which is a program highlighting breeders um, and not just stallions. So entire breeding programs that I invite everybody to check out. We'll have a story up on teamropingjournal.com this week about it. And if you check out the Platinum Metal Futurity online and on Facebook, you will find it there. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Billy Myers of Myers Performance Horses, and me, Chelsea Schaefer at the Team Rope and Journal. Okay, this is our much anticipated podcast because we've been talking about talking about horses for a long time. Like 
over over 10 years for sure (laughs) over 10 years and okay so obviously you've heard the introduction this is billy myers and we are in arizona right now and it's perfect we're in arizona for mostly for the royal crown which is and the title fights are going on too so we're going to head over there and watch the title fights so but talk about where things started and where like 10 years ago when we started talking about the horse industry and where things were in the horse industry what what major shifts have you seen in the last decade well i know 10 years ago like basically i kind of made like uh i don't even know if it was like a last ditch type call to you but i was like how are we going to get these team ropers to pay attention to papers because my thought with it is i'm watching what was happening in the barrel industry which is pretty paper-based and I'm watching barrel racers buy $100,000 prospects to take them to 4Ds to win $100 on a Wednesday night. And I'm wondering why team ropers aren't paying attention to these bloodlines for their purchasing value to move forward in the direction of buying horses where you can literally, like the price of horses back then was like 6500 for a finished heel horse. Yeah. And you could win 6500 in a weekend at a World Series Open, but you had to fight somebody to get that 6500 out of your finished heel horse. And now here we are. Yeah. So it was, a, it was kind of more of like a, me and you had a, I wouldn't necessarily say passion project, but slightly interested in seeing where this would go and hoping that we would get to the point we're at now and further. And your family was having the horse sale at the time 10 years ago you guys were still in the middle of your sale but now you're doing things a little bit different how has the program on at the Myers changed and you're not necessarily the Myers family the sole Myers family representative and I I recognize that (laughs) but um how have things changed in response to what's happening in the market as a whole so realistically like our program hasn't changed because we were I mean Frenchman's guy is a grandson of Doc Bar like we've kind of always been doing this like our horses were marketed better towards the barrel racers because they were the ones that wanted to pay the money for them. They excelled in that direction, but our program has always been selling broke two-year-olds. It's never been marketed at anything. The industry has allowed us to be able to kind of follow some passion behind this deal because we're all team ropers and we love the team roping industry. And now we're in a position where we can actually start marketing our horses to team ropers because the price is caught up. Yeah. And that's, that's the most amazing part of it. We could actually do something we love and enjoy, and it's a passion thing for us. And the money side of it allows us to be able to do that. But we haven't changed anything with our program. There's just a complete industry opening up that's allowing us a whole different avenue to go with them. Mm-hmm. And now you are going to be offering a sale with, with part of the Platinum Metal, too. Talk about how the Platinum Metal idea came about, and then what is different with your sale. Okay, so the platinum metal idea came about, which is like I was watching Tayo sale last year, and there was two horses that had won the American Rope Horse Fraternity Championship. They were both world champions, sold on tie sale. And I guess my opinion, and I don't, it's nothing against tie sale or anything like that, was that the two horses that had those accolades didn't sell as high as they should have, which kind of made me realize that. The Arizona market is more of a finished rope horse market. And with the fraternity industry blowing up as it is, I felt like somebody needed to establish a prospect sale. So I came up with a sale idea 
and then decided that I needed to have an event to go along with it to bring some new money, new blood, new people that want to be involved in this industry to the sale. And the idea behind the sale is offer them the highest quality prospects they can possibly get because we want people to stay hooked and interested in the sport by riding quality horses that make their job easier. And that's, that's how the Platinum Metal came about. And what is different about the Platinum Metal? Like, I think it's been important in our conversations and important anytime you're talking that I've heard you talk about it, that it is not at all intended to be a competitor to the existing futurities. No, it's it's meant to be a more or less a, I guess, kind of a comp- complementary to the other futurities, yeah. just in the sense of like, at this point, in order for people to make a living doing this, there has to be more events to go to and more money to be won. So we, we decided to do the breeder's incentive with ours, which is very complimentary to all the stallion incentives that there are because people are going to start thinking about mares now to breed to the incentive stallions. So we're just trying to complement what everybody else is doing and kind of, I don't know. I mean, that's pretty much about it, really. Well, and we BS all the time, and we were talking earlier about um, the market for weanlings, yearlings, two-year-olds. What do you see as the prime the prime age right now that people that the everyday roper is looking for? And then, what do you see the future? So right now, everybody's everybody that calls me or Bill or anybody else is looking for three and four-year-olds because they're the closest to being able to go do something with them, take them to the fraternities because people are wanting to get into this now. So three and four-year-olds are what pe- most of the competitive ropers are looking for because it's something they can grab and go with. They don't necessarily have to take them to a trainer. The higher-numbered ropers can buy them at that age, do what they need to do with them, and go from there. They're starting to, starting to look at two-year-olds a little bit more seriously just because of the price difference. So you get into the three- and four-year-olds that have a little bit more going on, going to be a little bit higher price. Then the two-year-olds knock down a little bit, yearlings knock down a lot, and weanlings knock down more than that. So the natural progression of the way it's going to go is it's going to start going more towards two-year-olds, weanlings, yearlings, then to breed. And kind of jumping ahead into the future, but but at the present, I don't know. That doesn't sound that doesn't sound right. But you have a mare with select genes as well. So talk about the embryo market and and what you see a select genes doing and b just the embryo market as a whole. Well, so like. The embryo, what Select Genes is doing is they're offering the best genetics to the public, and that's something that's never been done before. Stud power is one thing, but the mare power of any program is what makes a program. And these programs are offering up their like landmark mares as ways for people to start their own program. What Melanie is doing with that deal is setting people up for success in the horse industry, and that's something that's never been done before. She is literally giving people access to the best mares in the industry to set themselves up for success by building a program off those genetics. So I don't know, you know, on the side of selling them, like prices are high and people are doing it because they see the value in the genetics and what that can do for their longevity of their program. And that's a big deal. It was at least seven years ago that um, I wrote an article in Spindowin. So this was the predecessor to the Team Ropa Journal. And Team Ropa Journal has been around for six years. So truly seven years ago at least that it was called Bull Market and it was the rise of rope horse prices. And I remember at the time we had like given some like, okay, five to 10, 10 to 
uh, you know, 11 to 15, just different price ranges. And we got a ton of pushback from the everyday roper saying that we were pricing the everyday roper out of the market. Do you think the everyday roper that, that it is that the market right now is pricing the everyday roper out of the market? Um, I don't think the market's pricing the everyday roper out of the market. I think that the roper is starting to understand that the price is subjective to what they can win in a year on the horse. And I think that that's the biggest thing that's happened with the market is people are starting to understand that paying $20,000 for a prospect is not that big of a deal because they can win that back off of them in a year. So the biggest thing is was kind of getting the average everyday roper to understand that the money was there to be won if you were investing in a better horse that makes roping more fun for you. And that's the biggest part of it is if you are matched up with the right kind of animal, roping becomes very fun. You get better. The horse gets better. Your riding gets better. Your roping gets better. And I think that is what's happening in the industry right now. And people are seeing the value in prime genetics and better horses, honestly. And I think, I mean, Denny forever compares roping to golf and it's true to a lot of in so many different ways and, and Ty does the same thing they're, they're different guys but they compare it to golf a lot and I think about it I'm a terrible golfer but if I can get a club that is going to make like just by its structure make my drives go a little further or a club that's going to help me chip around the greens a little bit better I am here for that and it's almost like that with the horse side of things oh that's exactly what it's like I mean prime example is my my good heel horse she was one of uh Dakota Tate and Trevor's flunk outs but I'm a six and that mare fits me and I have won so much money on that mare as to where she never would have made it as an open caliber animal so it's kind of fun to see you know people starting to understand that it's not necessarily you know a twenty thousand dollar horse is a twenty thousand dollar horse that fits you and that you can go on with and win the type of horse that is trainable quick-footed smart but stays good too for the people that have nine to five jobs that want to just go rope on the weekends Mm -hmm. like to have those genetics and that mind and everything like that in the background of what is going to happen with that horse in the future that's what people are starting to understand is the genetics are less of a gamble and makes the buying of the horse an investment as opposed to a tool. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the other th- one of the other things that's happening in the market alongside complementary to all of this is that we're going to be able to start tracking rope horses more. Um, where, you know, and for people who haven't maybe paid attention to everything that's going on, the Riata Buckle is tying into Q data and the World Series of Team Roping and the USTRC and the NTR so that your horse's earnings on a Saturday at Rancho Rio are going to count for its LTEs. Um, why does that matter? Should ropers care about that? Why does that matter? That is like the biggest thing that honestly can happen in roping because what that does is it allows the data for the average roper to be able to look at this at a list of studs, a list of mares, a list of crosses, and be able to make an educated decision on what they're buying. And that's where the earnings, that's the biggest thing that earnings does, is it educates the buyer to make the right decision. So when you guys start tracking earnings or everybody starts tracking earnings right now, you're setting it up in a way to make it easier for the buyer, which helps the seller and the entire market in general. So the data is very important. It's what has drove almost every other facet of the Western industry and every other thing. Team Roping's a little late to the game, but we're here and we're starting. And now we're going to be able to offer that 
data as a way for buyers to make their informed decisions. And that's very important, very important as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think even with the NFR guys, like those horses earnings have never been tracked. Like if you look at the Q data list right now, the first the first set of data that they tracked ever from the NFR was this year because they just they, they cross-referenced it all with me and my pedigrees, um, and they tracked it. So if, right now, at this very moment while we're recording this, Trey Yates' Romance and the Chicks is the number one all-time earning nice. rope horse because yeah. he had, or that dude had show horse earnings before to kind of put him ahead, and Patrick's is second. So I think more and more as we start to compile that data, that list is going to change dramatically. It already changed dramatically after the Riata buckle. And what does that mean, though, for for your parent, for programs like your parents or for, for stallion owners and mare owners at your parents' level? Well, especially for programs like it, and I'm not even saying barrel industry, cutting industry, reining industry, anything. Like, it, it gives them another avenue to go with their horses. And that's the most important thing when you're in the business of selling horses is avenues. So having that data, having the trackings, like we've had rope horses our whole, like my first ever rope horse was a Frenchman's guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I won on him, but it was a lot and filled my permit on him, everything. Like, I don't know how many have been to the finals, plenty in the roping, whatever. But doing this now, it sets it up to where we can at least move forward and keep track of all this and set a foundation for people to make educated breeding decisions and educated buying decisions. All right, we're going to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about our episode sponsors at Cactus Ropes. So the reason this episode is brought to you by Cactus Ropes is because a couple years ago, they came on board and said, we want to do what it takes to support the rope horse side of the team roping industry. Um, They became one of our sponsors of our Futurity Coverage program, um, and we are so ever grateful for Cactus Ropes and Cactus Saddlery for their support in this program. Now, Billy and I were chit-chatting the day before the Royal Crown Futurity, and my goodness, if you watched any of that Futurity or even listened back to our episode on the Royal Crown, you will have seen that Trevor Brazil absolutely dominated that event, and he did so with the Cactus Ropes Future. The Future is a bright blue rope that is sure to change the game of roping. Cactus used a new manufacturing technology combined with a year of input from Trevor Brazil to create the future. The unique weight distribution creates perfect balance throughout the rope with an extremely identifiable tip. It's got a friendlier shelf life, and that is just an added bonus. You can find out more about the future, including the future light and the future all around at cactusropes.com. As far as, so one thing that when I did the story on why numbers matter that's in the February issue, one of the things that Jim Brinkman said that has stuck with me was that like, just think of all the guys that are his age now that were rodeoing and now are hustling schools every weekend or still riding colts or fixing junk rope horses that they wish they weren't having to ride. And Jim said like, imagine if those guys had been riding mares when they were rodeoing. And they had been pulling embryos on those mares or getting babies out of those mares. That would be something that would, they would have a retirement income set up if they had been doing that. I think the only person that really did that was Bobby Hurley. And you see, uh, I actually like to go over to Worley's to see the kind of stuff that he has from Bob's old program because that was 
his program was legit. Mm-hmm. And he had the big bone, like old school looking head horses. But yeah, if they would have been, I mean, there was, there's some of the coolest rope horses that ever came through and they were tough and they had heart. And that's something that a horseman has to see. Mm-hmm. And you had, you know, the opportunity back. I mean, it would have, you would have to go back and look up the stuff, but if people pay attention to horses, you can go back and look at those old school bloodlines and find some stuff like that. But it's not very easy to do. Like, you have to be studying that. Yeah, it's, like, easier in California because of, like, Wade Wheatley's program. Like, all those old school programs in California. But otherwise, I don't think I have a lot in my brain of where. I remember Garrett Tanazi. We did that story on the top mares of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Dolly. I think there's there's four babies out of Dolly total, you know, and that's and that's it. She's 24 now, and I don't know that they're going to get any more. And um, I rem- But when we wrote that story... Garrett Tanazi called me and he's like, hey, you missed one of the cool mares. He said, my Uncle Brett made the finals on a mare at the beginning of the, at the early 90s. And he said, and I junior rodeoed on her and then we sold her at a sale for nothing. He said she was crippled and walked yeah. through a sale. And it's like, that would have been, Brett could have had, could have not been working the rest of his life. Yeah, if, here we are. Yeah. And in the life that we're in now is like, if you own one of those mares, but the other side of it, which I think is what you were kind of trying to touch on. Mm-hmm. Is that team ropers wouldn't touch a mare five years ago. Yeah. Like, I mean, would not look at one. I Like, the mare that I ride that I got from Dakota, we tried to sell her to, like, three people, and they were like, no, she's a mare. Well, I've only ever rode mares because I've always bred for my parents, and I knew that if I bought a gilding and he got crippled, I had no out ever. Uh-huh. Now, and then, I had mares, so if they got crippled, I could breed them for a year, let them come back, and we're good to go and get a baby out of the deal. So I looked at it from more of a breeder's perspective instead of a competitor's perspective because on the competitor side, yeah, mares can do some stuff that are annoying, but it's it's not hard to get by. Mm-hmm. And you just got to be a little bit more patient with a mare, but you're seeing a mare sale surgence right now because people are understanding that that horse becomes an investment and a commodity later on in life that you can make something off. Yeah, It used to just be we want a gilding because we can – throw him out in the pasture, not ride him, take him to the roping, and hopefully win something. But now that people's horsemanship's picking up, they're understanding horses, the whole nine yards, the mare thing's really coming into perspective. Plus, they see that they can get a return on their investment, and that's the big part of it. And I think from the mares, I mean, we're going to see more mares. I mean, Cody Snow's Annie, Paul's Jade, Paul Eve's Jade, those were really cool mares. Junior's Haley, they were all great uh, but now I think we're going to see a, a later generation of mares coming up of, that are going to stick around. But then at the same time, we're seeing studs. Clay Smith says he's going to have that roan stud that they bought from the four sixes. Uh, is it Betty's Jenin? Betty's Betty's Jenin. Betty's yeah. Jenin. He said he's going to be here, be at the faturities, and then you know start to slowly roll him into the rodeos. They just started roping on they're, him. They're starting a program. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're programmed. Like the, every like that's the biggest thing that I have in this deal, and the most respect for a lot of these people is they're understanding the value in a program. And Clay and uh, Jason Ritchie, his father in law, they decided to start a program. Mm-hmm. They bought a good stud, cow on run, bought some mares that would work for him. And, yeah, like, that's what his plan is, is he's going to fraternity that stud and rodeo on him. And I think it's genius. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows the value in promoting that animal, and that's what he's going to do. So, you know, going back to what you asked me about how much it's changed in the last 10 years, the fact that people are paying attention to knowing that kind of stuff. I know Joseph rode that Capone horse mm-hmm. in the finals because I saw that he's been marketing him for the Rancho Rio sale. Is like, you know, I rode this horse at the finals. That's a big deal. And that's kind of where we came from with the platinum metal idea of it is 
we got to put more titles on these horses for the marketing side of it. And with our division side, which I mean, it's not really divisions. It's just first 15 go in the first short round, second in the third, you know, so on and so forth. It allows it to be able to place horses in a different market value range as based on what short round they came back in. Because at this point, everybody's kind of just marketing open caliber horses that come out of the fraternity industry. And the people that buy horses are sevens and below. What I like about your short rounds, and it's something that obviously the whole World Series was built on. The sevens have their own short round. The eights have their own short round. And they get that kind of time in the spotlight that is important. Mm-hmm. Like, and, I don't, and, and barrel racing still hasn't figured that out, in my opinion. Like, you know, if you end up in the 2D or 3D, well, you, got, you, go, you get to walk to the office and get a lucky check. But you don't get to compete against your peers and, and win against your peers in, in, under the spotlight so to speak. But I like your short rounds that they're going to give people a chance to do that. Well, they're going to, they're not only going to give people a chance. I mean, the whole thing with the fraternity world and stuff is like, it's really not as scary as the perception that the general public has to it. The average everyday roper can compete with the greats, but they're scared to. And it's really not a big deal. Like, you know, when you have a nine header and you're a five healer, you just ease around there and heal them and show your horse and enjoy the day. And you are competing with those people because it's about showing the horse not about your ability with a rope. And that's kind of what we want to do is we just want to take the scary out of it and show people that this isn't scary. Like, Mm -hmm. you can compete against these people and you can win money against these people. And in the process of that, too, is we're still going to pay the professionals really good. Amateurs are going to slip in there here and there. It's just kind of an all-around win-win situation. And also, it makes, you know, the lower-numbered guys start to rope better because they're getting to rope with those people. They're getting to learn from their people. Those people are training their horses. You know, I don't know if people have really understood this, but the fraternity industry has the potential to build the higher number end of team roping like nothing has ever seen before. So, you know, there's never, you know, everyone says there's room for growth all the time. The fraternity industry has the full potential to make more eights, nines, and tens than ever before because of the riding. And, I mean, people are going to get better at roping because of their riding and the people that they're around in the process of it because everybody's mixed into this whole deal and that's what we want to show is that it's not scary there's a place for everybody in this and that's why we designed the fraternity the way we did how has your riding changed or how have you worked on your own horsemanship since this fraternity side i mean you not that you get to rope very much just like i don't get to run barrels very much but how has how has your riding changed and how have you had an opportunity to learn from other horsemen? It just, I'm not saying in the last year since you launched Platinum Metal, but yeah. in the last five years since the fraternity market. Well, so really actually the last, I think it would have been eight or nine years since I went to Jay, to Jay's first fraternity in Fort Worth with Dakota. And he was like being with Dakota and going to that one event, like made me realize like, okay, there's a future for this. And that was when, yeah, I started focusing more on riding Obviously, the roping's the roping, but position, my body, my hands, and it's helped me immensely. Now, I don't get a rope very much anymore, so, you know, it is what it is. But when I actually do get a rope, it's easy for me because I have the good foundation and the fundamentals from those people because they made me see that there was a future for it, and I worked at it. More of the riding than the roping, honestly. So... I remember when Trevor and Miles bought buckles. Yep. Like, we 
we started at square one with buckles. Yep. We didn't know what to do. Like, I was just like, okay, so-and-so's told me this, so we should do, like, I made a little marketing checklist in an email. It would be yeah. funny someday to, like, print that off. Like, okay, here's everything I think we have to do. Ready? Go. And I, like, made assignments for everybody. Okay, Daisy, you need to do this. Miles, you need to do this. Trevor, I need you to make this phone call. What do people who get into the stallion side of things need to know? What's your 101? Stallion owning 101. I think number one thing is you better understand that that is not a one-year turnaround. Like, you're looking at it, like, if you're going to invest in a, I'd say a two-year-old or yearling stud, the, you better invest in something because you believe in it, you believe in the genetics behind it, and you campaign it for seven years because you aren't going to see a return for that. It's a long-term investment, but it's the most rewarding thing in the world to see that work pay off in the long run. And that, that would be my number one 101 rule for that. And the other thing is, is yeah, just goes back to don't, you're not going to get rich quick. But if you put the work in, you stay committed, and you continue on with it because of the, you believe in it, you might have to put a little money into it and probably go broke for a little while, but the payoff in the long run is worth it. And that's, that's kind of my 101 with it. What do team ropers who want to, maybe they have a mare that their kid junior rodeoed on that was a, that's a good mare. Um, and they're thinking, okay, I want to breed to a Riata Buckle Stallion or I want to breed to a Royal Crown Stallion. What, what's the process? Like, what do you need to know to, to enter it? Like, I feel like there's a lot of team ropers who are kind of clueless and, and not disrespectfully so, but like have just never entered this industry before. What, what do you need to do? Who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to find? And, and how do you find a good cross on your mare? So, I mean, just like on that side of it, talk to people that have been in the breeding industry, not necessarily even any industry, like it could be the barrel industry, the cutting industry, the reining industry, because the people that have been in those industries breeding know how to cross things to win in those industries. And it's based on confirmation more than bloodlines, like certain bloodlines throw certain confirmations. So the eye of the breeder or horseman looks at a confirmation of a stud and a confirmation of a mare and they decide what attributes they would like to mix together for what they want. So if you don't necessarily have the eye to pick those things out, get with somebody that understands confirmations, get with somebody that understands what it takes for these, the, the generation of rope horses coming up right now. And it's funny because it's a complete reversal in what happened in the cutting and reining industry is they're have, they're breeding the size back into them. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing is it, it's so much personal preference. But if you are looking for somebody that, you know, knows a little bit more than you, go to them and ask them their opinion. And that's the biggest thing that I've seen this year is I've had more people calling me, asking me, what should I breed this mare to? What should I breed this mare to? That's never happened before, but people are thinking about it. So the biggest thing you can do is get with somebody that's been doing it in order for the crosses and everything else. Because the rope horse deal we're in a very blessed position in the rope horse world because we get to kind of pull off of every other industry that there is. And we get to use the bloodlines from all of those industries to kind of make what we want in the amalgam of this awesome rope horse. There's no definitive rope horse bloodline right now, nor do I think there will ever be. What you're going to see, and I think is the most cool and important thing, is people are going to start paying attention to confirmations and what they feel like they need to make the best rope horse. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is the coolest thing about the rope horse industry is there's no definitive cross yet, but if the right people do the right things and people start catching on to it, that's when the stuff starts going to happen and the data. Mm-hmm. The data is what brings the crosses in. So as far as on, on the mare crosses or if you're going to, what is the key time 
that people like when should you be when should you have your contracts booked do you know when should you have that sud picked out and when should you shoot for a baby are we, are we talking barrels or rope horse people? rope horse people we're talking barrel people here like they they call about august after yeah. breeding season's over <laughs> um but that was for the previous year yeah what i'm saying is like get if you do your homework if you were wanting to be in the breeding business do your homework figure out what you think your mare would cross the best on to get what you want like there's a little bit of personal pride and ownership in that but do it early get it together on your end so you come to the breeding facility prepared you know what you want to do because a prepared breeder is the best breeder in the world because you know exactly what you want to do you're going to get in there faster you're going to spend way less money the investment side of that is the more prepared you are the less money you're going to spend so if you have the stud picked out you know exactly the facility you're going to before breeding season even starts and you're not scrambling at the last minute to try to find somewhere that has receipts find somewhere that has this you're in such a better position. Not to mention stallion owners will love you mm-hmm. because you're actually taking care of your business, not putting it all on us. When we're in the middle of collecting studs and you call us, damn, this mare's in, we need to breed her today. <laughs> we don't like that. No, so we're not fans of that. So the more prepared you are, the better in the long run of that. If you can get them booked in September, book them in September. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my only answer on that is the more prepared you are with these things, the better off it's going to be for your checkbook in the long run. So if you're going to place the value on the monetary side of it, the more prepared you are, the better off you are. And the more, the faster you're going to get out of the breeding facility with a smaller, smaller bill. When do the Myers mares start to full? Uh, we don't start to full till late April, early May. So like we let everything uh, cycle naturally because of the weather in South Dakota. We don't want our, we don't want to be fulling out in February, January, March because mm-hmm. of the crappy weather. So we let everything come in natural. We don't start breeding until May, and we start falling out end of April, first part of May every year. So, and we do we still let everything be born in the pasture if we can. Like we're we're old school. We keep it as natural as we possibly can. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I feel like there's a lot of people living on small places now that are going to start. I've had friends that have lost babies that were born in folding stalls because of the, and I'm not good enough with veterinary terms yet but because there was an infection that was caused by bacteria that even though the stall looked clean and everything why is natural in your opinion or Myers family opinion better so that's really funny I actually helped Zoe spit with this Mm -hmm. last week she was having problems with it but so the the disease that they get is actually airborne and it kills them Mm -hmm. like so you can scrub 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 your stalls once it's in your place, it's in your place. So the more you can have them outside, the better. For us, anyways. But we've always done it like that. Simply because we feel like it makes tougher horses. But if we have to bring them in, we have to bring them in. And we do our things there. But, no, it happens. Like, mm-hmm. it's a it's a real thing. And people need to be aware of it. And, you know, be with their vets on the smartest ways to go about it. Especially places that have a lot of foals. It, mm-hmm. just, it just happens. But the all-natural approach has just been what's worked best for us. And that's what we do. We just haven't changed because it hasn't been a problem. And we, we do firmly believe that it makes a tougher horse. It make, they get to actually grow up in their natural environment instead of being born in a stall, living in a stall for 12 days. Then you kick them out. Half those colts don't even know what to do. They run into the fence. They don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. They, they've been living in a stall their whole life. 
we try to keep it as natural as we can because it's still an animal. They have animal instincts. And if you take the animal instincts out of them, you're making a dog, not a horse. And that's how, that's how we feel about it. Who, um, who checks them? Does, does your mom check them every day out in the pasture? Oh, yeah. She's down there. She's down there. She's a, that is her bread and butter is pulling them out. Yeah. I, she I, loves it. I love to follow her on Facebook because uh, she always posts when she finds a new one out in the pasture. And... Like, I'm telling you, it, like, that lady, <laughs> like, she loves her foal. And, like, that is a favorite thing of her year. She goes out in a ranger every morning with her coffee, writes it down in the book, and sends me a picture. <laughs> comes back. Got all her pictures. She loves it. That's her favorite thing in the world. That's awesome. Yeah. That's what keeps her going in the horse industry. <laughs> I can't blame her at all. Um, absolutely. So she gets her, she's got her, we, we have like two places. We have the home place where we break all the two-year-olds and then we run all the brood mares at our big ranch and she goes and stays out there and that's her, her peaceful time, she calls it. So it's fun. That's <laughs> awesome. I think we'll need to do an episode with Deb and Bill Myers oh my at some gosh, point. You got to. I think that's that'll be that'll be to come. I'm gonna tease everybody. I'm that just we will. like why not why do you like that might be the most entertaining <laughs> podcast of the score you will ever do in your entire. It will definitely have to have an e on it because <laughs> I learned how to cuss from my mom and that's how it goes down. I can't wait. But she's if you want to know the truth, she's the, she's the glue that has held the Myers performance horses together. And if it wasn't for her marketing, we never would have became what we became. So. Here we are. I cannot wait to, uh, I can't wait to, for them to tell the story of Frenchman's Guy and then also the untold things as well. Oh, the untold things are the best parts. <laughs> like the best, like the best story ever is like, you know, I mean, we're in this new age of everybody's got a pamper and prim everything. Like when my mom ran Frenchman's Guy at the pro rodeos, they loaded him in the trailer with two mares and two gildings. And my dad's team rope and partner, Rory Brown, had to keep a BB gun around whenever Frenchman's guy would start trying to breed a Mary, just pluck him with it. Like, this is a school we, like, came from. And, I mean, they're horses. They're yeah. tough. They are. They survived without us for a lot of years. But that, you know, Mom, when I was rodeo, and I was like, I got to make this. I got to go to two rodeos today. And she's like, who the, f-? she goes, who cares? She's like, I used to go to three a day. She's like, on a guy. She's like, fuck, fuck him. I don't care. Like, they're, she, he, he's tough enough. He'll run. And I was like, damn, Mom. I was like. I was trying to get a little sympathy here, and it's like, you're way tougher than I am, obviously. That's awesome. Well, so awesome. Well, we are going to go watch the Open at the title fights. Shout out, to, well. shout out to the World Series in Taiyo. So we will, uh, there will be more podcasts with the Meyer family as a whole. So thanks, Billy. We're pretty hilarious, in all fairness. <laughs> pretty hilarious. We've, we've been very in the shadows for our most of our successful years of business and now we're coming to the forefront of our hilariousness so here we are uh speaking of that casey who runs the breakdown podcast and works for us she runs the barrel racing magazine she says she likes to think of you she doesn't know you very well but she likes to think of you as billy madison instead of billy myers she said i I said that is a really good description i actually do draw um the (laughs) smiley face on my stomach with the sunscreen all the time actually so in all fairness, like 100% give it to me. Yeah, she said, when you talk about him, I just picture Billy Madison instead. That's how I am. Yeah. I used to dress like him even. I talk to swans every once in a while. But you gotta do what you got to do. Thank you. We will be done on that. <laughs>
check them out at cactusropes.com. You will find all of their new latest ropes as well as some of the legends like the bad boy, the mojo, all the good old cactus ropes. Check them out again, cactusropes.com.